momentum right now, I'd say, is really good. It's been positive, trending in the right direction, which is uh, which is not a little thing. I've had years where I couldn't wait day by day, week by week, for this thing to be over. And right now, I'm feeling like, uh, yeah, we can keep going right now. This is a really good feeling to have. Because I am not writing off Mike Smith. I refuse to write off Mike Smith. I know you're giving me that look. Uh, I, they're not the favorites going into this one, NAU, which is rare for them, very rare. But I refuse to believe the dynasty is done until I see it. Mike Smith going to be a, a second three-peat when we go through. I'm getting the thumbs up that it is officially Northern Arizona University again. Top of the morning to you, or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening, my name is Scotty and welcome to Chip Time, Season 2, Episode 28. Getting close, people, getting close to the Chippy Awards, the second annual Chippies, which are in that mid to late December range, right around the holidays. Some say the Chippies are, are the best holiday. I mean, I would never say that, but if other people are saying it, I will not stop them, but we're not there yet. We are at the end of another NCAA cross-country season. The national championships, of course, just took place on the Division One and the Division Three side. Next week will be Division Two, but we have to break down everything that we previewed in the last episode. Very excited for that. Got a lot to dig into on the women's side and the men's side, both for the individuals and the team races. Not sure if we're going to run as a, a typical episode does. Not sure if it's going to be that time intensive because of certain scheduling limitations on my end, but I have enough in my notes here that we may just blow through that and, and get a pretty standard episode length. But without further ado... We have a very special ad read today, so pay, uh, pay close attention, maybe turn that volume up for a very exciting word from our sponsors. Special announcement. As I'm sure you know by now, I've been using Perform from the Amino Company for quite a while now, over six months and it is by far my favorite 100% science-backed endurance formula. And listen, this has been well-documented. It is routine for me at this point, 30 minutes before my workout, whether I'm lifting, doing an ab workout, going for a run, I'm mixing my perform with some water. And I say routine, but that does not take away the fact that I am extremely grateful for the effect this product has had on my athletic performance. And because I like their products so much, I was able to get a special early access offer for the Chip Time community in honor of Black Friday. So right now, you can take advantage of AminoCo's biggest sale ever and get 40% 
off all Amino Co supplements, not just perform, all their supplements 40% off by visiting aminoco.com slash chip time. That is between November 21st and November 25th. Early access, so you don't have to wait till Black Friday, but that is the last day of the sale. And hey, when the sale ends, we still got our standard 30% discount. But if you're listening right now, get over to aminoco.com slash chip time for a massive discount of 40%. Once again, that is aminoco.com slash chip time. Now back to the show. The 2022 NCAA cross country championships did not disappoint so much to break down in both the men's and women's races. But first, one thing I wanted to bring up just broadly, I didn't even really jot this down in my notes and kind of breaking the fourth wall here. Oftentimes when I do watch a race, this was the case with the New York Marathon just a couple weeks ago, I will take notes during the race because when there is that longer time span, I don't want to miss little things that I'd like to break down after the race. But in this case, I was so locked in and I had so extensively previewed this meet, both with articles, with ranking write-ups, with the last podcast we did, that I was very locked in, didn't feel like I would need to take notes and just had my eyes on the screen, really just buckled in to enjoy the ride. And because of that, I wanted to shout out the production. And and cer- certainly, it seems like overnight, we have turned into a pro ESPN podcast, which is different from season one. If you've been around, there were some things that I was critical of. And that's not to say it was a flawless broad broadcast, but they have done so many of the things that were on my wish list from a few episodes ago. Our episode, of course, about turning XC into a TV-friendly sport. I really feel like they're doing many of those things. They're getting the drone shots in there. They're talking about the value of the the middle of the race. Kyle Merber was very vocal about v- Victor Shitsama moving up for Oklahoma State at the end of the race, and, and we'll be breaking that down, of course. And so really getting beyond just that front layer of the race, the leaders, and getting into the value of the team, the team battle and, and also some individual battles in, in the middle of the pack that are very important and entertaining as well. And so uh, for having it commercial free, for bringing in Kyle Merber, for having the just attention to detail, like I said, with some of the action in the middle of the pack, while also providing a great preview of the course itself, it really is checking a lot of the boxes that make me answer the question of, could a casual cross-country fan watch this and enjoy it? They are answering that more soundly with a yes. I feel like it is a more TV-friendly product than what we typically see of the strap the camera to the cart that's leading the race. It's on the front runner the whole time, shaking around, and and, and that's it. The less of those that we can have the, the better I think it is to 
not only entertain the casual fan, but grow the sport, grow uh, the knowledge of the sport, and, and it really just makes it so much more entertaining when they add that level of attention to detail. So that's a huge shout out. Uh, first and foremost was just the coverage was outstanding. It was absolutely outstanding and and it, it really just makes for a better experience whether you are a casual fan or if you are a crazy person like me who writes top 50 individual rankings every two weeks and top 25 team rankings every two weeks. Uh, it, it's it's enjoyable for anyone who tunes in. So between the two races, we're going to go in order here. The ladies race was first. And so we're going to start by breaking that one down. As far as expectations versus reality, this of the two races, I will admit, was frankly pretty close to what we expected to happen. So whether you tuned in to our preview or you've just been following all season, you know that this was really between two women on the individual side and between two teams on, on the team side. Individually, Parker Valby of Florida and Caitlin Tui of NC State were the heavy favorites, both undefeated entering this race. Uh, Tui had been winning in, in national caliber fields all season, whereas Valby, besides the SEC championships, perhaps had not been in as high of caliber of fields, but had been absolutely obliterating her opponents in every single meet that she towed the line for. And so the question here was, given that Tui had won more tactical races with more high caliber athletes in the fields, you would think that over the last kilometer, two kilometers of a race, if it were close between these two women, Tui would have the advantage, given her experience, given her 406, 1500 meter speed, she would have the advantage in closing the race. But what was so fascinating was the way that Parker Valby decided to run this race, which was after about a kilometer, breaking away from the pack and not looking back. And at the 4K mark, Valby had a big lead. I mean, it was like maybe a 10-second lead, maybe even more. Um, it was an 8 to 10-second lead, and she was she looked, I, I guess I couldn't say comfortable, but she was running like she had been during the regular season. And Kyle Merber brought up such a good point that I didn't necessarily consider when previewing this race. And it is the fact that Valby was not there with her team. She was an individual qualifier. And in the scoring, in the team scoring, those individuals are not counted. So for example, if Valby finished first, Tui finished second, Caitlin Tui would not be picking up two points for NC State. She would be picking up one point for NC State because that was the first point of someone in the team competition. So Valby would win the individual title, but Caitlin would pick up one point for her team. And so I'm sitting there and Kyle brings up the fact that 
If Tui stays with this chase pack, that's eight to 10 seconds behind Parker Valby, and then presses the last kilometer or 400 meters and takes second place, she has checked the box and done really the best possible thing that she could do for a team championship, which is accruing only one point. So when there's 2K to go and Valby had that lead, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why would Caitlin Tui risk going for it here, expending all the energy she has, and potentially losing it with 400, 800 meters to go? There's some nasty hills on that course, and, and maybe if she expends all that energy to close the gap and ends up getting passed by people, she would actually be a detriment to the team score than if she stayed in that chase pack, took second place, and, and took one point for her team. But the thing is, when you have a championship mentality, when you have a Michael Jordan mentality, when you have a Michael Phelps mentality, when you have a Tiger Woods mentality, you don't go for second place. You have one destination in mind, and that is a championship, uh, whether it's on the team level or the individual level. Caitlin Tui said, I trust my fitness. I'm going for it here. And her ability to close that gap, and she had to do it by herself. No one else from that chase pack went. Her ability to close that gap, and with about, I can't remember exactly if it was 600 meters or uh, a little more or a little less, for her to take that lead, you could tell she was not giving it back. It was so impressive the way she caught up, showed that grit, showed that patience to to really make the move when it was definitive and when it was going to be, hey, there's no looking back. I am winning this race. That was so impressive to see. She takes the win. Valby gets second place, really running as good of a race as I think she could have. But then to have Kelsey Camille, also of NC State, take third overall, accruing two points because, again, Valby's is not counting to the team score overall. That was huge for NC State to get uh, a couple runners through with as the least amount of points possible that they could accrue. And because of that, not only did they win the individual championship, but much like the Danny Jones Colorado team from a few years ago, they also took the team championship. And this was by 24 points over New Mexico. So it was not a bloodbath out there by any means. Um, you know, if you see a team that scores less than 80 points in a national championships, that's a bloodbath. I mean, that means your your runners, uh, I, I hate to, to make myself do quick math, but they are scoring, uh, what would that be, like around 16 points per person? That would be absolutely crazy to see on the national stage, but with them scoring, I believe it was 116, um, really what we saw was a, a really strong front four, of course, Tui and Camille, Samantha Bush, 15th place, Nevada Moreno, 29th place, we'll get to her in a second, and then Brooke Robber, the redshirt freshman with a clutch 90th place. Was it perfect? No, but it was exactly what 
the wolf pack needed to hold off New Mexico. Because all five of the Lobos were all Americans, meaning they finished in the top 40. And when you factor out the individuals like Parker Valby, who are not part of the team score, every one of New Mexico's women scored 34 points or less. And so you do the math there. It was fairly close between the two teams, but Brooke Robber coming in clutch there was huge. But Nevada Moreno, the fourth scorer, 29th place, there there really was um, something magical about that performance. And, and everyone who listens to this show knows this, this is just how my brain works. We, we see the bigger picture, whether, whether it is fact or fiction or something in the middle. That, that, that's a great way to describe this show. It is some facts. It is some fiction. But we fall somewhere in the middle. When I saw that performance from a runner who had had a solid career, didn't look to be an All-American threat, but was very valuable as a, a, a sixth, seventh runner for this team, sometimes fifth earlier in the season, sometimes getting into the scorecard, it really goes to show how valuable senior leadership is. Whether or not you're expected to be a scorer, you could be relied upon in a race as chaotic as the national championships. And so it really goes to show the culture of the NC State Wolfpack. This was a team championship, and when you look at Nevada Moreno's performance, that really speaks volumes, that she was training within this culture she stepped up when they needed her to and ran the race of her life. And the last thing I will say from, from really that storybook perspective is NC State. Their mascot is the Wolf Pack, and they ran like it at the national championships. The strength of the Wolf was the Pack, and the strength of the Pack was the Wolf. In this particular wolf, Nevada Moreno, her first name is Nevada. And what is the mascot of the University of Nevada? You guessed it, it is also the wolf pack. And so from the way I see it, this athlete was born to do what she did at these national championships. She stepped up when the rest of the pack needed her. And this was a team championship. I'm driving that home because, gosh darn it, those haters at Flow Track, they don't get it. They don't get it. We're not going to dive into the, the poor takes they had in the last couple weeks about this NC State team and about these national championships. But the way NC State did it shows that they have the MO of what their mascot is. And I just think that's cool. I really and, and I'm biased because I ran for the Timberwolves, but I think that is cool when you see a team execute really in, in a way that is uh, descriptive of what their mascot is. So shout out to them. Now, coming back, circling back here to the fantasy draft preview that Garrett and I had, uh, as much as I, I don't love to admit it, he got the better of me. Between the two of us, we got nine out of the 10 teams correct 
Four of them were mine. Five of them were his. And then for the individuals in the top 10, we got four out of 10 correct. Of course, that's much more chaotic to predict than the teams are. And each of us got two there. He had both the NC State women and then I had Parker Valby and Natalie Cook. So we were uh, four out of 10 on that front. Last point I have here on the women's race is just a shout out to the Virginia Cavaliers who absolutely were ripping it out there. I I did not expect Virginia to finish ninth place. Um, I actually had them down in 18th um, of this field of 31 teams. UVA to me was was kind of a, a fringe top 25 team that was trending up. And I thought at best they would maybe finish like 15th, but but I took a more conservative approach and, and put them at, maybe it was even lower, I might have put them at 20th in my predictions. But they finished 9th place, 4 of their scorers in the top 70, and then their 5th scorer, Esther Sealand, who finished 114th, was 9 places ahead of Georgetown's 5th scorer. And Virginia beat Georgetown by three points. So that shows how clutch she was wrapping it up for the Cavaliers. Really, really uh, exciting to see that performance for them. And it's exciting because a lot of their runners are underclassmen. And you look at someone like Mia Barnett, who is their number one, she's a middle distance specialist. And so now that she's coming into her own, uh, almost an All-American in this cross-country meet, she could really be that low stick that they need to to rally the troops and who knows, maybe battle for an even higher finish at next year's national championships. But it is time to switch gears. We have to cover, of course, the men's race. And oh my goodness, was this an exciting race. You know, when we think back to last year's race. It's not that it was unexciting per se, but if we're being honest, Connor Mance was so much better than the rest of the field. I mean, he was basically, it was almost a surprise he hadn't gone pro yet at that point. I mean, Hawker had gone pro and, and a few others had, had already gone pro who were, were really showing their such elite athleticism at the collegiate level. Um, that Mance took that one and it wasn't even close. And, and the biggest headline last year was the Cooper Tier situation, uh, which we won't unravel again today. But this race was electric this year on both the individual side and the team side. So starting with the individuals, oh man, it was, you, you think back to my preview with Garrett, it was my guy versus his guy, all right? It was Nico Young versus Charles Hicks. Drew Bosley of NAU was also in the mix, and those guys broke away from the pack early. And for a 10,000-meter race, you're thinking, I mean, the pack will will probably catch them? Like, it was such a Wesley Kiptu-type thing to do, just getting out there so quick and they had to do the work among the three of them, but it was cool to watch because you saw them work together, uh, especially Young and Bosley, obviously, as teammates, 
but they did not want the pack to catch back up to them and make this interesting. It was kind of a putting all your chips in and saying, hey, this is our strategy. This is plan A, and we're going for it. So that was the case for the first 9,000 meters. We get one kilometer to go. Bosley starts to fade. Still hangs on for third place. A massive result for that guy who's had a heck of a career with NAU. And then the last 600 meters or so, you see Charles Hicks press. He gets ahead of Nico Young. And similar to Caitlin Tuohy's move on Parker Valby, it was definitive. It was, there's no going back here. This is the move. Young is hanging with him, but you can tell he doesn't have another gear. And Hicks gets to that finish line first. Big win for him. Uh, as much as I feel like Nico Young somewhat unfairly gets the criticism that he's been so close all the time and hadn't hasn't had that signature win. Um, up until this meet, I feel like Charles Hicks had kind of dodged that because he hadn't won a national championship before and he hadn't won Nutty Comb or the Cowboy Jamboree. So so I wasn't sure why we we thought it was fair to only say Nico Young was the unproven one of the two. But now Hicks has a national championship and it's hard to root against the guy. Super personable uh, a fellow content creator such as myself. He's absolutely ripping it on the YouTube scene. And when you see someone like that, um, it's it's just it's hard not to root for them. It's not like my guy, Nico, lost to like a villain of the sport who's super cocky. No, he lost to a guy who's a class act. And and it was it was fun to watch despite um it, it was a little hard to watch because I wanted Nico to win so bad. And I was on my feet there at the end, just just hoping he had another gear in him. But it was not all uh, all bad. It was not a dark day for Nico Young because, of course, there was more at stake than just an individual title. There was a team title on the line, and going into this race, the quote-unquote experts were saying this is a race between two teams the teams are the BYU Cougars and the Stanford Cardinal and NAU might be on the podium um, I guess many would expect them to be and Oklahoma State would be expected to be on the podium but those are quote-unquote outside national contenders but what did we see in this race uh, gosh darn it, especially over the last kilometer. The Cowboys of Oklahoma State, man, they closed up shop. They know that course in Stillwater better than anyone. And they, I can't say they ran to perfection for obvious reasons, but they executed so, so well and passed so many people, knocked BYU out of that top two because it looked like it was between NAU and BYU. And when you kept expecting Stanford to be the ones to shoot up the scoreboard at the end with all these all-American contenders they have 
and their number one guy winning the national title. Instead of them, it was Oklahoma State who really showed up and and moved up right at the end there. But NAU, it was so fascinating because it was the opposite. They were in the lead for most of the race or right there with BYU. And you kept expecting the wheels to, to fall off. Because unlike these teams that were deep through seven guys, this NAU squad, it was their scoring five and, and it was nobody else. That's no shade at Colin Salmon or Ryan Raff. But in this field, it was going to be their five and, and they were going to live or die with that scoring lineup. And so I was getting nervous the last two kilometers because George Kusha, who's had a, a pretty tough season, he had been with NAU's number three guy, Santiago Prosser, for the first 8,000 meters. And then when, he, when it got to 9K, you saw him back with Brody Hasty. So now NAU's four and five guys are together. And I'm just thinking, oh gosh, Kusha's going to fall off and, and NAU is going to probably finish like third or fourth. But what ends up happening is shout out for the, to the Nebraska transfer, George Kusha, 39th place. Although he fell back a little bit, he holds on to that second to last All-American spot. And with Young and Bosley at two and three, and with Santiago Prosser finishing 19th, and with Brody Hasty finishing 25th place by 0.6 seconds over Aaron Las Harris of Wake Forest, the Lumberjacks come through with the same amount of points as the Oklahoma State Cowboys, and it goes to a tiebreaker. So the thing here is, it's hard to it's hard for me, I should say, to to judge how I feel about the tiebreaker situation, because currently, as we see it. In the NCAA, the tiebreaker is decided on displacement, meaning which, how many of your top five finished ahead of the team you are tied with's top five. And so you need to have, obviously, three runners that finished ahead of the other team's top five. So running through the list here. Young and Bosley were ahead of Oklahoma State's first and second runner. So it's 2-0 NAU. Then Oklahoma State's third was ahead of Prosser. So it was 2-1. But then Brody Hasty, NAU's fourth, finishing ahead of Oklahoma State's fourth, clinched it for the Lumberjacks. And so the kind of controversial thing here is this system favors a score a team that that has five legitimate scores like NAU but it doesn't count to have depth it doesn't it doesn't favor those with depth quite as much because if the tiebreaker was to score the sixth runner Oklahoma State would have been significantly ahead and they would have won that race and so that's the coin flip there is that our current system is like we want to break the tie and just count these five runners that have counted to to make the team score that led to a tie. Rather than saying, 
we're going to kind of have a quote-unquote overtime situation where the sixth runner will decide this. They have concluded to have it be that that displacement calculation, and because of that, it worked for NAU's favor. So it was the, the second three-peat for them. So uh, 2016, Eric Hines was the head coach of NAU. They won the national title. Then in 17 and 18, under Mike Smith, they won the title. 2019, BYU upset them, won the title. But then in 2021, both the winter and fall championships, and now here in 2022, the Lumberjacks have done it again. So five out of the last six under Mike Smith and and six out of the last seven overall. So you got to shout out the dynasty it's not quite over yet, and one thing I said in our TSR group chat article, breaking it down right after the meet, was Santiago Prosser finishing 19th. That was the race of his life. I really thought I could have locked in him being top 60, and in my official predictions, I believe I had him at 37th. And, and I really felt like he was a fringe All-American, going to be uh, maybe in that top 40, maybe right out of it. But 19th place, not only was that a huge finish, but that was, uh, they needed it to win the national title. It really is that simple. And the last thing I'll say about this title for NAU is some people are saying that Oklahoma State, you know, lost it by a tenth of a second, because if you look at certain parts of the results, you see that uh, a cowboy runner was was 0.1 behind someone else or, or whatever, however it shakes out. But that's why I want to reiterate that Brody Hasty, NAU's fourth guy, was 0.6 seconds ahead of Aaron Las Harris from Wake Forest, because if he loses that battle by a lean at the line, NAU loses. So that less than a second, it, it goes both ways for multiple situations. It, that's just how cross country is. It's chaos at the finish. And given the current rules and given how the boys at the front ran and how the boys at the back ran, NAU won this title and the dynasty continues. And it's funny for me, I feel like I'm such a a bandwagon fan like rooting for the favorites but honestly I was rooting for them because it felt like Nico was an underdog to win the title like people were counting him out and of course he he ended up runner-up but it also really felt like no one believed in this team everyone was all in on BYU and Stanford and so I was like you know what Mike Smith's a cool dude Nico Young's a cool dude I'm just going to roll with these guys and root for them. And the fact that it actually happened on the team side made it for an extremely entertaining event. And man, that's one that I'll remember. The fact that it went to tie break, uh, that's one that I will remember for a long time. So the Mike Smith dynasty continues. Shout out to them. Uh, Closing the loop here. On, on the fantasy draft results. Got to do that, of course. On the team side, once again, we went 9 out of 10. And once again, Garrett got the better of me. Five of his teams 
In four of my teams, it was the gosh darn uh, Tennessee Volunteers who they faded all the way to 20th place. Uh, not a great day for them. And then on the individual side, we did a little better on the men's side than the women's. Six out of 10, three each. So you look at the draft as a whole. Yes, Garrett got me. He got me by a couple points on the team side. But like I said, our our goal was to do well together. And uh, I think we did decent. It, the individual side is such chaos. And, you know, one thing I'll point out for, for the Alabama women is the fact that Mercy Chalangat was the fourth runner for Alabama uh, behind Hilla Olamomoy and Amaris Tanisma and Flomena Asikol. Um, who would have called that, right? So, so don't come at, at us for bad picks when literally no one could have called that. But I really enjoyed previewing the race with him, of course, watching these races. And, and I hope that you, the fan at home, also enjoyed this experience. Because as I always say, the goal of this show, the goal of the Chip Time podcast, it is not to, to act like we have all the answers. I mean, you, you look at my running career, like clearly I, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and I really don't know what I'm doing now with it all. But we, but what I do know is how much I love this sport, how passionate I am about this sport. And the goal is just to communicate that with the people and bring people on board to carry that passion themselves. So thank you for letting us uh, ramble here about cross country. Hope you enjoyed it. And as we wrap up the show and and kind of close the book on another phenomenal cross country season although again I know D2 Nationals is out there I would never forget my brethren in D2 I know that's still going on uh maybe we'll chime in on that next time although I have a fire guest lined up and we're probably not going to talk about D2 cross so sorry if you're uh if you're a D2 cross person and you're listening to this. But as we wrap up the show, if you would like to contact the show, send us an email, chiptimepod at gmail.com, chiptimepod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave, leave us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. That five-star button does need your touch. And, and if you'd like to join the Chip Time Strava group, all you need to do is follow me on Strava. And lastly, I'm going to push it one more time, Black Friday deal, aminoco.com slash chip time, 40% off any order, not just perform, but any supplement order from the Amino company, aminoco.com slash chip time from November 21st through November 25th. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Keep working hard, and we'll see you next time. Oh,